Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And you know what's making a comeback, Julie? Mmm, jean shorts. Well, yes. But what else? Acid wash jean shorts. Yes, acid wash jean shorts. But what else? The woolly mammoth. Possibly. Okay. Yes. All right. That's good. That's good news. Well, is it? I don't know. Well, I just have this menagerie of animals in my backyard, and that would be great to add the woolly mammoth to. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. With I mean, the dodo bird too would be pretty great too. Yeah, or the uh, Neanderthal, our old friend. Oh yeah, Neanderthal yeah. would be awesome roaming around. Yeah, it's, it seems like if you if you pay any attention to the uh, the science news. There are all of these stories coming down the pike pretty regularly, and it's always, let's bring, we're bringing back the Neanderthal. Woolly mammoths, they're coming back. We're going to clone them, clone them up, fill our backyards with them, put them on display, study them, and everyone gets really excited about it because it is a fantastic idea. Here's this extinct creature that we all grew up looking at in, in picture books. Right. And, uh, and suddenly it might actually be around us. Our, our very own Jurassic them. Park, so to speak. Exactly. The Jurassic Park factor. Without the dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah. And people get pretty up in arms about it, actually. Yes. So I mean, we're going to talk about that today, um, but also talking about like maybe how they shouldn't get so up in arms, but that there is a possibility that the woolly mammoth could be coming uh, to a backyard near you pretty soon. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we have the Genome Project to thank for that. Yeah, and this is all about just 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 meticulously mapping um, the genomic structure uh, behind uh, the, basically the recipe for the mammoth. Uh, in the same way that we we've taken the human genome and uh, and, and looked at that, in the same that we, the way that we've a- analyzed uh, the Neanderthal genome, right? And uh, and uh, and various uh, there's like the K9 genome project. There's uh, uh, there's also the, uh, the the one related to uh, to chimps. I mean that. It's all about taking these species and just understanding them at very small levels uh, and very detailed levels. Right. And just to get, you know, a little bit more specific about it so everybody has a handle on uh, the Human Genome Project, which really helped to drive a lot of what astrobiology is doing these days. So the Genome Project, uh, what they meant to do is to basically take the complete string of nucleotide letters that make up the DNA sequence in our cells, um, which is referred to as the genome. And this DNA sequence contained in a genome contains the complete code that determines which genes and proteins will be present in human cells. Basically, what sort of attributes we have that are going to turn on and off. Right. Right. Um, so that project started in the 90s and it ended about 2001. And so you do see this field of astrobiology really benefiting from this. And paleontologists in particular Really saying, okay, now, now we can take all these different cells that we have, you know, we've got this trilobite sample and we can try to map this and other organisms, you know, uh, just from really simple, uh, life forms to, like you said, that the humans, um, the human, the humans <laughs> and the Neanderthals. Um, so it's brought us to this present point where we have this Jurassic Park like possibility looming ahead of us. Yeah. The, the Jurassic Park factor is pretty big here. Um, and on, on one hand, I do have to point out Jurassic Park, the movie, the book, both of those. The, the the big draw there was was the fact that people were going through this park and seeing these animals. Then the chaos happens by necessity, since it's you know it's a fiction, it's a novel, it's a thriller. Right. But with both of them, I, like when I watched them and read them as a as a kid, I I didn't want anything bad to go wrong. I was like, let's let's just continue this ride. This sounds like a great place. Right. Uh, and they they introduced a number of 
of scientific ideas. So, I mean, this was not Carnosaur. This was Jurassic Park. This was, you know, Michael Crichton. So there was a, there a he, he put a great deal of, of scientific thought into this and was looking at actual, um, actual research. But still, it, it paints a, a, a very optimistic picture of what uh, bringing back an extinct animal would be like. Um, like basically, uh, as I recall, they, uh, they, they weren't able to, they were able to extract DNA from blood in a mosquito that is preserved in amber. Right. Uh, now, of course, DNA degrades over time. Mm-hmm. So you would have to fill in the blanks. And this is a 65-year-old, million-old million sample that we're talking yeah, about, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, ancient, ancient. Yeah, and, so uh, it's pretty incomplete in terms of, of having a, a good specimen to work with. Yeah, it's like having, like, imagine the most waterlogged, raggedy um, copy of The Great Gatsby uh, imaginable. <laughs> it's been in your grandparents' basement in a waterlogged, crate you get it out and you go to read it most of the words and most of the letters are just completely illegible whole chapters are missing right so you fill in the gaps right right you think the character is daisy fuentes yeah, yeah. and, and you you might look at look to more recent books and say well here's a book that was you know obviously this is influenced by the great gatsby uh let me just uh fill in the blanks with that right and uh in do in doing that with, within this book example sure you could you could put together a book uh and that you could probably read, and it would probably make sense, uh, but it wouldn't really be the Great Gatsby. Right. So uh, that's what uh, the whole Jurassic Park thing was. Well, let's go to amphibians. We're going to fill in the blanks. We're going to somehow um, get this uh, genetic uh, material into an egg. Uh, I don't remember the detail on how they got the eggs, uh, because as we'll discuss, that's a, a big thing. Once right. you, you know, how are you? Where are you going to grow this? Um, and uh, and then they were, you know, they were hatching these things. Dinosaurs everywhere. Uh, Etc. Yeah, well, in in the case of the Mammoth Creation Project, which sort uh-huh. of takes off that same idea, um, you know, of course, we've got the mammoths, which have been extinct for 10,000 years. But we do have frozen mammoths. We have, um, exactly. From the Russian permafrost. So right. these are well-preserved, far far uh, better preserve, preserved than you'll find uh, any kind of dinosaur remains. Um, you know, much more recent, much, much better material to work with. Which gives us that promise. Right. Right. And Professor Akira Iratani in Japan has been working on bringing back the woolly for about 13 years this now. This man wants woolly mammoths yesterday. Yeah, he yeah. does. He does. And he's, uh, I don't really know what his exact intentions are. It's hard to say, but, um, he does have a sort of line of logic and saying, well, you know, humans might have been responsible for, um, for them going extinct. So we have to pay them back by resurrecting them, which sounds just like really like a bad version of pet cemetery to me. Oh, yeah, way. yeah. Indeed, I, I had to look up Pet Cemetery again when we were talking about it, uh, just to remind everyone. Stephen King novel. Yeah. Uh, pets die, so you bury them in the Indian burial ground. Uh, there's a Wendigo or something, uh, and uh, they come back to life, and they're they're not right, and they're potentially evil. And uh, this is where we have the the quote: "Sometimes dead is better." And another great quote <laughs> that I got off Goodreads: "What's been tried once has been tried once before, and before, and before." So. I need to read it again. It was a really disturbing book. Yeah, and it also flies in the face of like Stephen Jay Gold Gould, who's all, who's saying like, you know what? Um, all all of what is happening in the genes and and evolution is by chance, essentially, um, not necessarily by chance, but survival of the fittest um, mm-hmm. and all these different conditions. You can't recreate this, so it's definitely flying in the face of what we've thought about what evolution is. Yeah, and it's all. I mean, I don't know how much we want to get into it at this point, but just the idea of, of bringing back woolly mammoths in an age where we don't really have room for elephants anymore. You know, <laughs> right. it's like the, the elephants 
have their territory greatly reduced. They're animals right. that basically need like a large portion of a continent to roam around on. And they're even in the best of situations, they're they're greatly confined. And their numbers are often uh, really endangered. Yeah, and we've and, seen examples of like marauding gangs of them, yeah. like, invading villages, and it's a territorial thing. They're not looking for beer, as as we might have previously thought. Yeah, and so suddenly we're like, oh, let's bring some woolly mammoths back too. It's kind of like you if you encounter like that family member who who has like a a perfectly good car that is that, that needs some attention, and then they suddenly they're like, I'm going to restore this, uh, you know, 1950s, what have you. Like, pay attention to the, you don't you can't even take care of this car. Right. Why, what are you going to get this one for? Take, you're not even taking good care of the elephants we have. Right. So why are you bothering with the mammoth? Well, and this is the problem, right? Because uh, Professor Akira Iritani, he is he's doing this, right? He's his his idea is to remove the nucleus from an egg cell of an elephant and replace it with DNA from a frozen woolly mammoth, like you mentioned. Uh-huh. And so this could theoretically create an embryo, which would be implanted into an elephant's uterus. Yeah, this is the another really key advantage to cloning the woolly mammoth, is that it has a very close relative still alive and thriving right. today, despite our best efforts to make it extinct. Yeah, actually, they're divergent species, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. a much closer relative, whereas a dinosaur... You know, good luck, uh, you know, getting a chicken to, uh, lay a dinosaur egg. You know, it's, right. <laughs> it, there's just a lot, a lot more distance there between the, uh, the thing we're trying to clone and the more recent model. Right. So. And so, I mean, Akira Iratani is really, he's making steps toward this and he feels like he'll be able to do this in the next five years. And many people in the science community Have believe. Left. Oh, no. I'm, well, I'm no, believe. they believe that it can happen and sort of people are on, on different sides of the fence. Some, some scientists are like, yeah, that's great. That's awesome. We should do that. We should, we can study this. Like we've got the uh, closest living relative living right now. Mm-hmm. And if we resurrect this ancient, creature, then we can study them side by side and learn maybe a little bit more about life, you know, back in the day. Um, and other people are saying, well, that's not really necessary. Um, but in the meantime, there's uh, something called Ple- Pleistocene Park. And there's a man named uh, Sergei Zimov, who's a conservationist who runs the park. And he's actually trying to recreate the natural habitat that existed in the area 10,000 years ago by reintroducing animals that were indigenous to that area, including reindeer, wild horses, and bison. And he says, my responsibility is to prepare the mammoth ecosystem, a landscape typical for the mammoth. Therefore, if some crazy people have found enough money and they revive the mammoth, we will be ready. You know, he has a, he has a lot of room to throw crazy that's, around in a conversation. <laughs> that's what I thought, too. I was like, oh, yeah, they're, they're the crazy people. And And again, it comes down to like, Let's why, why maybe he should help focus our energy on preserving existing environments that are vanishing and disappearing rather than ones that are long gone. Right, right. And actually, uh, there's a man named Adrian Lister. He's a paleontologist and uh, in London, I believe. And he says that its natural habitat, the mammoth, has more or less disappeared. That's probably why it went extinct, extinct <laughs> in the first place yeah. many thousands of years ago, because the kind of grassland habitat of the far north that it formerly lived in doesn't exist anymore. So you would have to keep it in captivity. Yeah. It's kind of like if someone was like, we're going to bring ragtime back. And you'd be like, well, good luck finding a market for that. That's why it's not around anymore, because nobody wants it. I don't know. I'd listen to some ragtime. You well, couldn't? a few people will listen to some ragtime, but I don't see it, you know, shop, popping up on the top forty. I like me some tinny piano every once <laughs> in a while. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. 
but again, you know, the woolly mammoth has huge potential here, and scientists in 2008 have already sequenced the woolly mammoth genome. So um, what was cool about that part of it is that they were able to find out more about the woolly mammoths, um, what their environment w- might have been like, and why they went extinct. So here's here's the other side of the fence where people are saying, yes, let's pursue this path, not necessarily resurrect them, but let's, you know, map the genome and let's find out more about these circumstances because ultimately astrobiologists want to get to the down to the brass tacks here of life as it originated, as it survived, as it went extinct, and how that implicates our universe, not yes. just our Earth. Are there space mammoths? Maybe. There could be. Could be. Yeah. They're out there right now with little helmets on. Well, the other thing that I like about, like, speaking of it in terms of not necessarily putting uh, putting the genetic material into the um, living pachyderm and right. having it give birth to a woolly mammoth, because our cloning technology continues to advance, but mm-hmm. it's not perfect yet. I mean, we're, we're it still has, uh, has very high percentage levels of failure. Um, the embryos are often either not suitable for implanting into the fetus or they, they die sometime during gestation or shortly after birth. So I, I like elephants and, you know, I, I, I'm not really crazy about the idea of let's, let's, uh, impregnate this, uh, artificially impregnate this elephant with some offspring that is, uh, arguably doomed to die. You know, I have to say that when I worked at the zoo, uh, or worked at a zoo, I should say, uh, the zoo. The zoo. <laughs> the zoo in the world. A zoo. I would have these nightmares every once in a while, and they always involved elephants. And it was like messages from the elephants saying, like, you got to get us out of here or we're going to just run wild and, uh, you know, oh, run wow. over all the, the monkeys and the small children. Um, but it was always like that. In fact, Steven Tyler once showed up in the dream riding the horse, like, the horse, excuse me. That's odd. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, riding the elephant out of the zoo. So, yes, I mean, <laughs> I, I feel, you know, at least if I haven't thought about it consciously, subconsciously, it does seem like there's, a, for me at least, a problem with that scenario of resurrecting uh, the woolly mammoth. Because you hate elephants. Just for our pleasure. Yeah. Well, no, no, I, I you like fear them. them. Yeah. No, I like them. I like <laughs> them. I think I, that's how I felt uh, that I was sort of connecting to them in the oh, dream okay. You're on that level. So it's like, let's create this animal and then create, put it in a zoo or a lab. Right, right. Or some crazy dude's recreation of this reindeer infested (laughs) recreation of prehistoric times. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know how that would go down is what I'm saying is, is that these elephants were sending me messages when I worked at the zoo and telling me, do not put Steven Tyler on my back. Um, (laughs) and do not make my ancestor, the woolly mammoth, uh, do the same. Hmm. Yeah. Well, the trampling of the monkeys though, the monkeys probably had it coming. Yeah. yeah a, qu- a quick plug for um, an upcoming Discovery show, and oh, it's Discovery BBC production, uh, but uh, Human Planet. Yeah. About uh, all these like amazing things that uh, indigenous uh, groups and tribes uh, continue to to uh, perform in the world. Uh, one of them, uh, one one of the sequences shows this uh, this tribesman who's like taking out. He's a farmer, not a farmer. He's a herder, herdsman. He's herding these cows, and he has to take them to this one watering hole, otherwise they're all going to die. And he gets there, and the elephants have already claimed it. And he has to drive the elephants away with like a stick, and there's a huge chance he's going to get trampled. It's 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 great. You should check huh. it out. All right, the the promise of trampling. Yeah, I will. But back I- to back to cloning. Uh, another interesting thing about um, uh, our our buddy Akira here is that uh, is that uh, in in Japan, human cloning is currently uh, severely frowned on, illegally yep. even punishable by ten years in prison. Ah, so he's just kind of working this out of his system with the woolly mammoth. Maybe because he can't do humans. Maybe yeah. Yeah. 
That's a whole ethical quagmire uh, in and of itself. Right. But, um, but, but even that, like human cloning, you can, you can get more into the, the, the idea that this is something that can, that can benefit humanity, that we can learn a lot about, about our, right. about ourselves and right. our bodies and, and the treatment of diseases. But that's completely off the table. So let's clone woolly mammoths where it seems like the, the area of, of really beneficial scientific achievement is, um, is maybe a little slimmer. Yeah, definitely. In fact, uh, there's a woman named, by the name of Betul Kassar Arslan, and she's a postdoctoral fellow um, with NASA Astrobiology Institute, Center for Ribosomal Origins and Evolution. And she actually gave a talk at the Atlanta Science Tavern um, a couple days ago. It was really interesting. And she works with ancient genes. And um, ancient genes, as you know... Acid wash, gotcha. Ancient, exactly. Yeah. Super old, very holy... Um, that ancient genes, as you know, are, are, are in all of us, right? In yeah. all life forms. Um, they this are- is the whole thing, like, uh, like the, the most relatable example is why, like, uh, a, a fetus early, early in its development looks the same in numerous species. Exactly why they, it might have a tail, right. right? Or actually, it does have a tail. So if you see that in mammals, right, um, it, it could end up being a fish or it could end up being a human. So there's yeah. this, an- the ancient genes that are either going to, um, Turn off or turn on, depending on what the species is. Yeah, right? it could grow up to be Richard Harris. It could grow up to be a killer whale. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, film reference. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but Arslan, uh, she was actually saying that they're basically using these ancient genes as a genetic alphabet. It's ba- it's a common language for them to decode with. Mm-hmm. And so they're taking ancient genes and they're taking something like a a modern day E. coli, right? And they're putting those ancient genes in with that. And they're looking to see what it does, uh, how it evolves, how how does it react to its environment. And so, like you said, on, on a smaller scale, or like a less pachydermal scale, <laughs> um, they want to find out with these ancient genes how they're going to react because they feel like this can tell us something about ourselves here on on Earth, but also again out in the universe. You know, if the primal life forms. Um, they're basically evolving before our eyes. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's it, it comes down to the whole principle of uh, in in understanding life and contemplating life on other worlds. The only model of life that we have is the one we have here. Right. So we need to really understand that model and all that it entails, um, and, and understand all the details, or as, as many of the details as we can possibly uh, uh, uncover regarding its genesis and its uh, and its development over time. And then we can apply the same standards to. Uh, contemplating what may or may not be forming elsewhere in, in the universe. Yeah, and Arceline was actually, um, she had a lot of questions from the audience about the ethics of this. because, mm-hmm. she, And she basically said, look, I'm not doing the, the, the woolly mammoth here. What we're doing is we're just really trying to find out w- where life came from. How did it emerge? Now, this is in a tavern, right? Yeah, this okay. was at the So Atlantis. I'm picturing them as like sort of drunken accusations of like, hey, where are you get off cloning the ma- <laughs> ma- ma- mammoth, man? No, it was much more like, can you explain the ribosomal um, <laughs> reaction and uh, the extremophile environment, so on and so forth, and how it, no. Um, okay. But uh, <laughs> no, there was there was no uh, no drunkard uh, heckling or anything like that. Um, good. Yeah, no, no. It, it was all very civil. But there was beer, and that was nice. Um, but basically, I mean, she did field a lot of those questions. And what she said is, look, scientists are pretty much self-regulating. And when I... 
when I heard her say that, I thought, you know, that's it, a lot of what we're talking about right now is um, the same sort of topic that came up when cloning was first put on the table, right? We were all scared that we were going to have versions of ourselves out there or, you know, it's, it's all sorts of tinkering that can go on. In fact, there are probably still issues <laughs> surrounding that, <laughs> but we have a better hold on it now. And we can see that, you know, as you said, like in Japan, it's against the law to clone a human. So the idea is that this technology is here. It's used for exploration. But, you know, when when everything settles down, most likely we won't be creating these Jurassic parks and, you know, charging $50 for admission. That's the hope, at least. Well, that's, yeah, that's the hope. I don't know. You can... You can sort of nitpick, I guess, and make arguments about, you know, various situations where some sort of uh, scientific achievement sort of leapfrogged a little ahead of the common sense to keep it in check. Yeah. You know, like, like looking back to days when, say, cocaine was completely legal in the States and like people were drinking it in their soda water and, and buying it, you know, before they go out and work at the docks. Right. And then eventually people were like, oh, maybe we should outlaw this. Or, uh, and, and granted, these are very different. Uh, uh, issues, uh, you know, very different social issues than, than cloning. But, uh, but also like, uh, w- when you look at, uh, at music on the internet mm-hmm. and the, the pirating of music and the whole argument that, well, we just, we, we let it get ahead, get ahead of ourselves. That yeah. Suddenly everybody's sharing music and we didn't even think about like, putting the, the, uh, the various rules in place and the various barriers in place to, to shape it the way we wanted to shape it. So. The cart before the horse. Yeah, but I, I guess so far, I mean, with cloning, it, it seems like we've done a good job of staying, staying ahead of the technology, uh, in, in keeping it right. uh, sort of closed in, so it doesn't just go wild. Yeah, and so again, that's the hope here. Yeah, that someone like myself doesn't have a Neanderthal or a woolly mammoth or a dodo bird in their backyard. Well, here's the thing too about uh, about Neanderthals and uh, and dodo birds and the idea of bringing them back because we had a well. Because we had a hand in their extinction, mm-hmm. um, and which you can make a better case with things like dodos, which you, you can clearly say, yes, humans kill off the dodo. Uh, Neanderthals is a little more complex issue, as we discussed in right. our uh, Planet Neanderthals podcast. But uh, but then you have things like just today, uh, at the day we recorded this, uh, New York Times had an article about the eastern cougar being officially de- declared extinct. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, and then there are, there are other more recent. Uh, 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 extinctions that can be laid at the feet of humans, such as the Asiatic cheetah and the Tasmanian tiger. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, both of those, there are efforts in place to to collect the the, the genetic information we would need and prepare to to clone them. Uh, and of course, even if you could clone them, there there are huge obstacles to um, to bringing a, an extinct species back. I mean, there are huge obstacles to to bringing a near extinct uh, species back because right. the genetic diversity will be shrunk down so much. That, you know, it's like, oh, well, now we have a million deer, but they're all so inbred that it's just ridiculous. So, uh, yeah. but, but I'm kind of rambling, but my point is that the mammoth is a slightly old news. Uh, so I, I, I can, I can more easily get behind efforts to bring back a more recently extinct species. No, and that's a lot of people actually, that's what they say when they're, when they're being critical of, um, bringing back the woolly mammoth is they're saying, why don't we just concentrate on what we have right now and mm-hmm. try to preserve as much as possible, you know, our existing, uh, biodiversity. Yeah. So. Well, let me, I'm the last person to accuse scientists of playing God, but I mean, it is one of those things where it's like, Woolly mammoth extinct. Not if I have anything to say about it. And then, you know, push the button, bring them back. And yeah. It's kind of like, you know, just completely, uh, you know, sticking it to fate and sticking it to history and saying, yeah, I'm, I'm human. I'm awesome. And I just brought back a woolly mammoth. That's right. Yeah.
Next thing you know, Ted Turner has a has a line of steak restaurants open with a big uh, a big statue of a woolly mammoth out front. You're going to eat your mammoth burger, and guys are going crazy because it's the most masculine thing ever. And I actually saw this spoof uh, online. I'm hoping it's a spoof, and it was like Ted Nugent <laughs> who's giving like ten thousand dollars to the research of bringing back the woolly mammoth so that he can hunt them. Hunt like them. The- Hunt. Hunt. Oh, okay. No, yes, hunt. Okay, to hunt them, yes. Yeah, well, that... sorry, I'm a little nasal, a little cold okay. there. Hunt. Well, I mean, Ted's pretty wild, dude, so... Um, yeah. So, yes, but Ted Nugent is exactly the, uh, the the type of person I'm talking about. You can easily see him either hunting or a, a, a mammoth hunting. once it's been uh, cloned hunting. Yeah. Or, or indeed, making beef jerky out of it and selling it online. Mm-hmm. Right, I know. That's the dark side of this, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. The Nugent factor. <laughs> But we need to start using the the Nugent factor. Yes. Just, yeah. There's the Branson factor, which is like the the more benign, and the Nugent factor, <laughs> not so benign. All right, then there you go. Yep, woolly mammoths, ancient genes. And hey, I think we have some uh, listener mail to wash all that down with. Let's check it out. All right, um, our listener Jay writes in, and uh, Jay says, Jay's from Arkansas, by the way. I just finished listening to your podcast on doppelgangers, and I really enjoyed it. I have an additional phenomenon to mention that I believe falls into a, ca- into a category all its own when talking about doppelgangers. I have experienced this three different times that I can remember, and each time it happens, it really creeps me out. Here it goes. I will be walking through a public place, such as a mall or grocery store. When I see something, uh, when I see someone that I hadn't seen in a long time, an old friend, a former teacher, a coworker, someone from my childhood, etc., However, when I get closer to them and prepare to greet them, I realize that it's not them at all. It's someone that looks very much like them. They're doppelganger, I suppose. So I turn and go on about my business, shopping, or whatever I'm there to do. But the really creepy twist is that before I leave this place, I run into the person that I thought I saw earlier, the real person this time. Three times this has happened to me, and it's forced me to think, okay, was it the real person the first time, and I just thought it was someone else, because it has been a long time since I'd seen them, or was it really a doppelganger that reminded me of an old friend, and then by chance I ended up seeing the very person the same day in the very same place? Whatever it was, it really makes me wonder. It's sort of a surreal experience. Huh. You know, I, I'm had, I've had similar experiences, but it's not that I've run into the person. It's that I was really thinking a lot about that person. And then all of a sudden they turned up out of nowhere. And it's someone who hadn't been in my life for a long time. Yeah, well, that's just your mental powers over reality, right? Right. That's yeah. just these, these um, invisible strings pulling them toward me. Hmm. Right. Well, now, Jay doesn't mention, um, and he just says he's from Arkansas, uh, if Jay were perhaps from a small, like a really small town in Arkansas, then I could see where one could potentially have uh, one of these uh, misidentification uh, syndromes going on and and then actually run into the people that they're misseeing. I don't know. That's that's a very non-clinical <laughs> look at the, the situation. It's uh, a nice shot, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, I would I would say uh, it sounds like this is more just sort of a curiosity in Jay's life. But uh, but again, I will stress that if you do have a situation where you really think you're encountering doppelgangers or mysterious doubles or weird twins that shouldn't exist, you should definitely go to a doctor about it because it's probably a uh, probably some sort of a mental uh, disturbance. And it might be, uh, there are many of these that are easily treated too. So it's yeah. not necessarily like if I go to the doctor about this, my life is over and I'm going to be in an institution. No, it, there there's a way out on, on Yeah, there's, there's our treatments for these yeah. types of things. But hey, Jay, thanks for sharing that with us. We'd love to hear about uh, 
about really cool, kind of weird experiences like this because the, and, you know, we, and, and we've been completely non-judgmental about these because, because we've discussed in a number of these, there, there are things that can go on in, in, in life, in, in your, in your head that are just, com- that are going to be a little weird. And, yeah. uh, and they're, they're, they're tied to natural phenomena, but, um, but, but they'll, they'll really throw you for a curve. Yeah, so. and, and I have to say, I'm probably the last person that can judge in this area, um, as I've already talked about my own weird dreams and uh, experiences. So yeah, yeah, there you go, non-judgment zone. So hey, if you have any uh, doppelganger experiences in your life, if you have thoughts on bringing back woolly mammoths, um, if you would like to ride, uh, hunt, or eat a woolly mammoth, uh, hunt, hunt. Then let us know. Uh, you'll find us on Facebook and Twitter as Blow the Mind. And you can always drop us a line at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. <laughs>